the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs uh, this uh, fine March day. Um, my name is Terry Shellington. I'm honored to be the moderator this morning. Um, uh, we we uh, acknowledge uh, Shaw Spotlight uh, that records the SACPA sessions and, uh, and uh, brings some pieces of the PowerPoint as well. Uh, you'll find the bowls in the, on the table. I remind you to put $14 if you're in there if you're having lunch and $2 if you're having coffee. Um, and somebody at the table can probably uh, uh, tabulate that and see if uh, it adds up. So it, we have the usual format with uh, uh, 25 or 30 minutes presentation and then uh, lunch and then Q&A following. Uh, it gives me great pleasure to introduce our speaker, um, Trevor Harrison. Uh, I think that if we had a, we're doing a hall of fame of uh, uh, some longtime friends of the Council of Public Affairs and, and their contributions, Trevor would be on the short list. He's spoken a number of times and always with thoughtful uh, insight and, um, and some current connections. So uh, we're going to hear on uh, about the Yellow Vest experience, and I'm going to let him experience it, but let's give him a warm welcome, Trevor Harrison. Uh, thank you so much, Terry, and thank you to uh, SACPA, one of the uh, great organizations, actually, in the, uh, the province. You are quite unique, and it's always been a real pleasure to uh, present uh, here. Uh, I was actually interested enough thinking, uh, coming over, I, I should somehow try to count up how many times. It, it must be getting on 15 times at least, maybe 20 over, the, over a number of years. And always a great pleasure to come here. It's, uh, it's great to present. It's always wonderful, too, to get responses and questions afterwards. Uh, so I'm going to try to take you through a, a little bit about the what is called the Yellow Vest uh, movement, or uh, I put protests here because I think there is a difference there. And uh, I've done a kind of, because this is a relatively new uh, phenomenon, uh, so there isn't a lot of kind of stuff to go back on and, and uh, think about. But I'm going to try to present the Yellow Vest protests in a, uh, in, in a broader context of very similar kinds of protests that we've seen in Alberta, Western Canada, Canada as a whole over a number of years. So we can kind of glean some understanding of what is actually going on there. And what I'm going to suggest is there are some immediate uh, things that are pushing the, the particular protests, uh, but there are also a lot of very broad and deeper kind of social and political and economic changes going on that I think are there and they aren't being talked about enough. Uh, and so this is almost, one could think of as si a symptom as opposed to the actual uh, illness that is in fact uh, affecting our political economy, our politics and culture more broadly. So I'm gonna take you through uh, some of that and uh, hopefully uh, shed some light on what's going on. Uh, so I hope these are going to show up. I said I should have probably bolded it in black or something. Uh, but this is, as I said, actually a uh, pretty recent thing. That's why I've put in brackets here a very brief history because there isn't much of a history. I mean, most of us probably would not have heard of uh, this particular protest until a very short time ago. And of course, it feeds off of a somewhat more 
familiar uh, series of yellow vest uh, protests and a movement in France that I'll get to shortly here. Uh, but it, in Alberta, it started off as uh, primarily a lot of street protests. So people had placards and they were kind of protesting as, as we've seen many times over the years around different issues. Uh, and then it really began to sort of take off and uh, become mobilized and more mobile uh, sometime in uh, December. So at this point, it kind of morphed from being uh, street protests alone to becoming kind of the vehicular protests, uh, truckers that, that we uh, are more familiar with over the last while. There was a rally in Grand Prairie in mid-December. Uh, there was a, a large uh, truck convoy that began in Nisku, just outside of Edmonton, uh, on December 19th. And uh, I was actually up in Edmonton around that time doing some work with uh, Parkland Institute. And uh, I was leaving town as it was just starting to get uh, mobilized and drive from Nisku, a series of trucks, 100 or so at least. And uh, then this began to really take off again, so it became kind of almost contagious. Uh, Bonneville, Medicine Hat, a lot of people talked about it as being primarily an Alberta uh, protest, but in fact it also spilled over into uh, Saskatchewan as well, into Estevan. Uh, uh, there were other protest uh, trucks uh, on the road protesting again, a convoy in January. And then in mid-February, of course, we saw the what sort of changed its name at that point from the Yellow Vest uh, uh, movement to the United We Roll convoy that went to Ottawa. Uh, the leader of that particular uh, convoy was a Glenn Carrot, who's a town councillor from Innisfail and became kind of the chief spokesperson. Although as it uh, made its way to Ottawa, uh, various uh, news outlets uh, took time to speak with uh, individual truckers about their concerns. And of course the cameras were out to uh, take pictures of the, the various signs, the protesters themselves, uh, much of which actually then uh, created some of the confusion I think around the, uh, the protests and uh, arguably have actually diluted uh, what any kind of single message coming out of it. And that's partly a uh, product of the fact that these are somewhat incoherent protests, but it also shows the fact that there's just a lot of anger and so different groups are kind of buying into the uh, protests as a whole. So that's a sort of a uh, quick uh, uh, description of it. Because the movement actually uh, took its name initially from uh, what's going on in France, it's worthwhile to actually compare the two movements. And uh, there are some, I think, pretty significant differences, which uh, uh, in, taken in total, I would suggest, uh, mean that the protests, that what's going on in Alberta is primarily a kind of one-off protest. Doesn't mean that the issues aren't of concern and aren't uh, deep but it has a kind of a protest flavor to it, as opposed to almost much more of a kind of movement uh, uh, concept in France. So in France, what you have is, uh, this is a, the Yellow Vest uh, movement has actually been primarily working class, poor and working class, uh, and whereas what seems to come across in the protests in Alberta 
is that a lot of the people are kind of independent truckers and small business owners. There may be some sympathy more broadly than that, but it's almost kind of a fairly narrow occupational and very much a subset of, uh, of a uh, particular class. And so I think that actually in some ways speaks to the, uh, the lack or the, uh, the, the sense that the potential for growth is much more uh, small in Alberta than what you would see in France where it's kind of encapsulating a, a larger class movement. Um, there is uh, at the uh, core at least the, uh, the, uh, the term or the idea of the carbon tax, which is actually becoming uh, a fairly popular um, uh, political and economic policy in a lot of places. Uh, in uh, France, the protests against the uh, carbon tax has been mainly because it's been uh, targeted against the poor and the working classes, so uh, without any kind of uh, uh, supplemental uh, means of ameliorating some of the effects of the carbon tax. Uh, and this comes along at the same time as in France, in fact, the uh, Macron, the uh, uh, president, has uh, decreased the amount of taxation on the very wealthy. And so uh, the two things in common have led uh, this to being very much a kind of working class uh, protest and movement there where it's uh, viewed that the, uh, the actions of the government are quite illegitimate. Uh, the anger over the carbon tax in Alberta, on the other hand, is one, because it's a tax period and we seem to have a kind of uh, anathema, being anathema to taxes, period. Uh, but the other part is uh, because it's, uh, there's a disbelief in global warming. Uh, so may the people and the signs actually, as we'll come to in a while here, was kind of like, well, we don't believe global warming is a real issue, so why should we be paying a carbon tax? Just let things roll. Um, and the, th the other part of it is about pipelines itself. And so when I talk about uh, the protests here, what I'm going to be uh, emphasizing in some sense is the problems, uh, the wider problems of what kind of economy we have. And so the concerns are reflective of larger issues about where the Alberta economy is going. So, Again, carbon tax being protested in both places, but the reason for the protests against the carbon tax are actually very different. Uh, the, uh, there is an anger, as I said, in uh, France as well about traditional elites uh, and political parties in general over austerity. And, and France and Europe as a whole have been going through a, a long period of austerity since the Great Recession of 2008-10. Um, the uh, protests, on the other hand, in Alberta seem to be, in fact, fairly narrowly partisan, uh, to, uh, directed primarily with uh, the Liberals in Ottawa, a much-hated uh, name in the West, and the uh, New Democrats as the provincial government here. So there's a very much partisan quality to this, whereas in France it's kind of like a pox on all your houses. Uh, you guys have not uh, acted very well, and in France, uh, following the, the, the polls there, the very much traditional two-party, two-and-a-half-party system uh, has been in disarray for some time uh, between both the Conservatives and the, uh, the Socialists uh, that have governed at various points. Uh, in France, uh, the uh, aims of the movement seem to be fairly broad. 
uh, some broad political and social aims. Uh, uh, though there's little kind of coherent platform, and again, it still resides on the level of protest, but there is kind of we want a better society kind of argument here. Um, on the other hand, the, uh, the protests here seem to be just simply kind of unfocused. It's just anger uh, directed at, yeah, get rid of the carbon tax, but we don't know what else we're going to do after that. Um, there are elements of a, a broader social movement for that reason in France. Uh, so the very fact that, one, it encapsulates much of the working class uh, and that it wants a better society as a whole gives it the capacity to actually expand into a larger kind of movement, whether or not that happens or not. Uh, but I do think it's, it's likely to influence uh, French politics in the years to come. You can already see Macron has found himself no longer being kind of the, uh, the glamorous savior, uh, savior of France, and he's had to back off certain things that he was going to impose. So it, it already is having an effect. Uh, on the other hand, uh, the protests in Alberta seem to be, uh, because they are actually fairly narrow, it's, its base of mobilization is quite narrow, looks like it's going to remain primarily as kind of a protest, uh, and whether or not it goes anywhere is hard to see. Uh, the uh, movement in France has certainly dragged in all movements by the very nature of them, get a kind of a grab bag of different people who it appeals to. Uh, certainly, there's a long history of anarchism in France, and so there have been a number of anarchists have been, uh, as the media is wont to do, uh, able to take pictures of them uh, and uh, doing their anarchist thing. Uh, in uh, Alberta, the protests have also dragged in all kinds of uh, somewhat uh, incoherent elements and sometimes some not very nice elements. Uh, you know, certainly right-wing, uh, extreme right-wing elements, uh, conspiracy theorists, uh, as we'll see some of the signs that come up in a while here, and uh, very much anti-immigrant advocates, so uh, opposition to the United Nations, all kinds of a grab bag of things that people are angry about at the present time. So again, there are um, two really quite different things. I was just I was talking to someone just before coming up to present here, and I said, you know, uh, I actually have a 1985, 1995 Toyota Camry. Very proud of the car, even though it's rusting out. But we actually just recently bought a 2018 Toyota Camry. So they're both Toyota Camrys, but they're very different Toyota Camrys. So in the same way, you have yellow vest protesters or movement in France and in Alberta, but they're very different versions of this. Um, some other kind of quick little comparisons here. Um, the, uh, one of the things that is noticeable about these particular, this protest going on right now, the Yellow Vest protests in Alberta, uh, is that it's very much tied to boom and bust cycles. So every time that something bad happens in the Alberta economy, uh, people go looking for someone to blame for it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's quite often it's the liberals in Ottawa, of course. Uh, but uh, there's almost never is it the, uh, the oil companies, and certainly it's never even OPEC. Uh, and so what you see, though, is all kinds of movements that uh, protests that arise. So many of you may remember 
Uh, back in 1979, people thought the price of oil was going to go through the roof and Alberta is going to be swimming in money. And then overnight, because OPEC cheated on the production levels, all of a sudden the price dropped out. Supply and demand, too much stuff in the system. Alberta's oil being very expensive to produce anyway, the price drops. And suddenly we're into a severe period of recession. And during this time, you have Western Canada Concept, the Confederation of Regions Party, uh, protests, all kinds of polls came up that Alberta should separate because, you know, clearly Ottawa is doing dirt to us and uh, then there's those guys in Quebec as well. Uh, and uh, so we went through that. And then in the late 80s, we went through yet another recession. In fact, sometimes we don't even quite come out of it before we're into the next one. We had the rise of the Reform Party. Uh, and the Reform Party began to kind of scare the uh, provincial conservatives. In the midst of some really bad stuff going on, uh, you know, debts, deficits, etc., the Conservative Party ditches Don Getty, and uh, the Conservative Party refashions itself around a new kind of regime based on free markets and letting the oil companies do what they want, and we have Ralph Klein, and then all of a sudden, the price of oil pops up again, also natural gas, and so we have the good times again, and the good times roll for a period of time, and you know, we don't have to tax anybody for anything because the oil money is just paying for everything, and then once again it starts to drop. So we get to 2008, the Great Recession. We look sort of insulated from the effects of the Great Recession for about a year or so, and then once again, we enter into a period where things are not so good. We start to run up deficits and debts once again, and we chase out another premier at that point, uh, Stelmack. Uh, and during the whole course of this, well, then we get the Wild Rose Party starts to emerge because, of course, somebody's doing dirt again, and you know we just need to change the actors here, and everything will be wonderful and go back to the way it always was. You know. Oil will be $110 a barrel, and we don't have to think about things. Uh, but things are not so good, and once again, st things start going south, and we get rid of Redford, and then we get a uh, new premier once again, and things are not looking so good. The economy is going down, so we switch the people at the head of the government once again, and we elect the NDP in May of 2015. And uh, within a f very short time, summer, I remember the uh, price of oil actually drops to $28 a barrel. And uh, even w worse than anyone could have predicted, it bounces back a bit. But we produce extremely expensive oil. Uh, the differential is, uh, is and will always be in, in the range of about $15 a barrel. There's no way to escape that. The reasons for this is, one, it's really hard to produce, and two, there's the transportation costs to get it any place. So a $15 differential is always there, which means that producing oil is a really tough thing here, and it will always be a really tough thing. And on top of that, there is a huge amount of oil out there right now, fracking and other things, and so way too much supply. We've produced a whole bunch of stuff. We have no way of getting it out, and so people are angry. They want to see the good times roll again. Um, and so you get protests. So what kind of a beast are we talking about here? If you think about uh, at the core, I can't even hardly read my stuff here. If you think of social movements as big, big comprehensive kind of movements uh, that encapsulate, bring in all kinds of groups of people from 
workers, to middle-class people, to men, to women, to people of different age groups, cultural groups, ethnicities, whatever. Big tent. Then you sometimes get kind of protests, which could become part of the social movements, but as long as they're not mobilized or organized, they kind of stay just out there. They're kind of on the fringe. And then you get kind of other kinds of uh, discontented groups that don't even merge as kind of protests. They just kind of are, are out there and they're there to be mobilized because there's always discontent. Every society at every time has discontent. The point is, how does it get mobilized to become something that makes a difference? And right now, lots of discontent with the people who are part of the Yellow Vest movement, but it's not clear it's actually who's going to mobilize it and use it. And also, and this is the key thing it seems to me, mobilize it in a way that is actually positive and meaningful, right? That is not just nostalgic, that is not just offering faint hopes for how you get out of an obvious problem, but actually has a legitimate way of producing something at the end that we're not back to the same problem as again. So, grab bag of pictures here. So, pipelines and jobs. Pipelines has become the great symbolic thing that everybody is, it's the hill for people to, to die on. Whether you're an environmentalist or whether or not one wants to support the oil industry. The idea here is if we just build pipelines, everything is gonna be rosy. It's not gonna be rosy because we just produce way too much expensive stuff and there's too much stuff out there in the system and there's a lot of other issues going on. Global warming is a real thing and so the need for oil and gas is going to decrease. We need to transition slowly but surely out of that. Pipelines alone is not going to help us. On the other hand, quite frankly, the idea that stopping the pipelines is going to save the world's uh, environment is also a bit of a pipe dream. Right? It's, it's not going, it's, not per, it's the hill to die on for a lot of people because it's taken on a kind of symbolic quality. In the case of the Yellow Vest protesters, uh, they are, and jobs is not an unimportant thing. People's livelihoods are at stake here. The thing is, they are attaching themselves to something in a nostalgic, hopeful way that this will save their jobs that may or may not actually pay off. Even building the pipelines is not necessarily going to guarantee the good life that some people hope for. Uh, then there's the climate, climate change denial uh, part. Uh, the sun changes the weather, not CO carbon. A tax is a scam, blah, blah. Okay, this is nonsense, right? This is just nonsense. But some people who don't want to face up to the world that is coming, uh, want to attach themselves to this, okay? It's a conspiracy. The people, thousands of scientists are just making it up as they go. It's just sunspots that is leading to the fact that the uh, temperatures have actually risen about 1.5 degrees in the last uh, 50 years, 35 years. Um, and then there's a barrel of other discontents. United we roll, no to the carbon tax, foreign oil, media bailouts, United Nations, and no to Trudeau, of course. Uh, yes to transparent government, etc.
It's hard to argue with the last one. Then you get kind of uh, anti-immigrant sentiments. And so the United Nations uh, protocols around how to deal with uh, refugee issues, which is with global warming going to become an increasing issue here as uh, global warming suddenly starts to make a lot of places not terribly inhabitable. Uh, but of course, throw in there the fact that we seem to want to then uh, fight any number of wars that also release a whole bunch of refugees desperate to get out of their countries. Uh, but you get kind of anti-immigrant sentiments thrown in with this as well. So it becomes kind of this incoherent grab bag of people who are just angry, discontented, and afraid. Okay, and we shouldn't underestimate that. There's the shades of American politics, and unfortunately, uh, you know, when Donald Trump was elected, there were a number of uh, Canadians said, well, we're better than that. You know, we would never fall for that sort of nonsense. Well, unfortunately, the rhetoric kind of spills across the border. And uh, so you can kind of see the, uh, uh, the, the rhetoric and the political activity that is becoming uh, synonymous with American politics spilling across here as well. And that was certainly part of the, uh, the protests. And uh, then, of course, even nastier elements, uh, you know, kind of the uh, neo-Nazi Aryan nations uh, thing. Uh, Alberta certainly is not immune to this. We've had a history of this. Again, back to the uh, 1970s, 80s, we had a pretty thriving neo-Nazi movement in some parts of Alberta, most particularly out around uh, Canmore, kind of middle uh, Alberta. There were uh, those kind of elements around. So. What else is kind of going on here? Here's another comparison for you. You want to think of a real uh, protest that became uh, the basis of a uh, social movement. You can think of the On to Ottawa trek. I couldn't help but think of that when thinking about driving trucks to Ottawa. They actually made it. The trekkers, of course, got stopped uh, by the RCMP in uh, Regina, the Regina riots. But this was actually, in a very similar way, uh, concerns coming out of a declining economy, uh, but far, far worse than what we're seeing here. If our unemployment level is 5.5% in Alberta, we're talking at this time, we're talking 30% of the people uh, outside of the, uh, the labor force, right, and having to stay in work camps. So what's really going on here? And this is my, my takeaway from this. Uh, first, very specific thing, the Alberta economy which is not as bad as people like to portray, but it's not the economy as it was. Uh, and so there are some real issues need to be dealt with here. We are going to go through a very difficult period of transitioning into an economy that looks like other provinces' economies, and we have to face that. We have to diversify. We can't just rely, rely on oil royalties any longer. We have to look like Saskatchewan and Manitoba, right, in terms of our economy. Specific thing number two, long-simmering alienation in some quarters of the West, which is very much tied to partisan interest. Uh, and so the Conservative Party knows it owns Western Canada. I mean, it almost doesn't have to do anything, and it owns it. Uh, but that alienation is kind of there, and every time something bad happens, it pops up again, and you get these movements. But there's some bigger issues going on as well. Uh, in terms of the broad things, number one, globalization, Canada's new position in the world. Uh, we have done very well tying ourselves, for better or worse, to the United States, but globalization means the United States is actually 
not as buoyant as it was, and Donald Trump's a symptom of that. So we have to think where we fit within the rest, rest of the world economy. Broad thing number two, uh, Trump, post-Trump, post-modern politics. Politics is probably changed irreversibly uh, because of technology, you know, the kind of instant reflex uh, that people have towards politics. And uh, there's no kind of core set of uh, political uh, values seems to hold people any longer. Broad thing number three, a wrenching economic environmental uh, transition. Uh, uh, President Obama the other day in Calgary said that climate change was leading to toxic politics, and I think that's true, uh, because there are going to be some winners and some losers, and what we need to think of is how to assist people, including people with the Yellow Vest movement, truckers and others, to adjust to the new economy, right? How do we make a living possible? And broad thing number four, finish with growing labor market fears around technology and autonomous vehicles. One of the things that people have not noted terribly much, but should, is uh, truckers, autonomous vehicles, 50,000 jobs at least in trucking across Canada. Should you be concerned that you suddenly are not going to have a job as a trucker? Probably should. Uh, Syncrude is already using autonomous vehicles to get the slag out of the... Uh, out of Fort McMurray. Uh, but even more tied to this is so much of our jobs, and you'll notice how, how many of the protesters are males, how much the identity of workers in certain fields is tied to what they do, right? And for Albertans as a whole, much of our identity is tied up with oil. So the very idea that every time something bad happens to the oil economy, we say, it's a personal attack on me. Right? And that's the way a lot of people experience this, including a lot of the people with the, the Yellow Vest movement or protests. Uh, but we're going to be, have to change away from that. Right? The world is changing. Alberta is going to have to change. And these protests are simply a symptom of the fact that we haven't got our heads around yet how we're going to deal with many of these very specific but very broad changes that are going on. Thank you so much. Enjoy your lunch.